0: Our scripture text this morning comes from Mark chapter 10. We will be reading verses 35 through 52, though the sermon will be on verses 46 through 52. Here, for this is the word of the Lord. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant." And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Thanks be to God for his holy word. May he bless the reading and preaching of his word. Uh, Since Jesus first foretold of his death and resurrection back in chapter 8, He has been engaged with his disciples in thorough training and teaching. Uh, This is what the church calls discipleship or making disciples. But instead of listening, his disciples have been overly preoccupied with their status. They weren't learning much from Jesus. Their true colors have been showing and we saw that there was pride, envy, jealousy and their priorities were upside down. But on every occasion, his response to their delusions of grandeur was, forget about being great, come down from your high horse and serve. Become like me, become servants. And he goes on to reveal to them that he is to serve ultimately by giving his life as a ransom for many, as this would soon occur in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. But before we get there, in our text today, he becomes the living example of a servant. We have come to the final healing miracle found in the Gospel of St. Mark. Now we know that healings are not the norm for the Christian life. And I do want to remind you, and it is worth repeating, that whenever Jesus performs a miracle or a healing, there is always a moral to the story. His healings are another opportunity for Jesus to teach his disciples something about themselves and, of course, about himself. There is symbolism in the one healed as they represent his followers. Just like the healing of the blind man at Bethsaida, the blind man here is to symbolize his disciples. But this healing is a bit different. First, let us consider the surrounding passages. In the passage prior, James and John were preoccupied with their status. Actually, this has been all of the disciples' preoccupation since they were arguing over who was the greatest. And in the passage following, Jesus will make his triumphal entry into Jerusalem where he will be acknowledged as the King and Messiah. So this passage is ultimately about status, but not about the disciples' status, but Jesus' status as Savior and Master. He was reminding his disciples of who he is, and he uses this blind man to say, this is how you should acknowledge me. This blind man was in a better place than his disciples at this point. Now, the blind man symbolizes the type of faith that the disciples ought to have because they had forgotten who he was in the midst of their obsession with status and their own exaltation. But this blind beggar knew his identity and he acknowledged him as such and he trusted him as such. So first let us notice the identity of the blind man is given to us. Now, this is very different from past healings since they were all anonymous. They were never named. Here we have the blind man's name. Jesus is with the crowd as they make their pilgrimage together to celebrate Passover in Jerusalem. They are in Jericho, not not the Jericho of the Old Testament. This is a different Jericho. And they are walking up toward Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Uh, Jericho is about a thousand meters or a little over a half a mile below uh, Jerusalem, and it was 18 miles north, so it was about a day's walk. Then they come across a blind beggar by the name of Bartimaeus, which simply translates as the son of Timaeus or the son of honor. And he was just sitting on the roadside, assumed to be a busy road used by pilgrims to get to Jerusalem. Most likely, he was dressed in rags, holding a cup, begging for change. Now, the reason why he is named, uh, unlike the others who have been healed up to this point, is because Bartimaeus had been around Jesus and the disciples, and this fact would become clear later on. So Bartimaeus was a familiar face to the disciples. And with that familiarity with Jesus comes greater and deeper understanding of who Jesus is. Isn't it funny how that... Is sometimes the case? Sometimes it is the outsider looking in that recognizes what the church has as we have the pearl of great price in the gospel. And sometimes it is those within the church that simply ignore what she already has and would like to trade it for another shiny object. Oh, how often... Have churches been tempted to trade the pure and simple message of the gospel for the sake of status in the world? At this point, the disciples do not recognize what they have, yet this blind man does. Though he is blind, he sees what the scribes and the Pharisees failed to see. And they were those who were very learned And they knew their Old Testament. He saw what the disciples were losing sight of, especially after Peter's confession and witnessing the transfiguration. It is amazing how soon sinners can forget things. But as one commentator says, this man was blind in body, but not in his soul. He got it. He saw with spiritual eyes. What did he see? It says, and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out because he couldn't see. And in order to get his attention, he cried out and and said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Notice the difference between his request and that of James and John. First, he acknowledges him as the son of David, or the one who has come in the lineage of David. He acknowledges his title of royalty. He acknowledges his authority. In other words, Bartimaeus knew his Bible. He knew of the prophecies that said that the Messiah would come in the line of David, even though he couldn't read it for himself. This was another way of calling him the Christ or the Messiah who is to be the King of Israel. This is the first time Jesus is publicly acknowledged as the Messiah or the Savior. This is a turning point or a bridge to what is coming next for Jesus. Up to this point, he has tried to keep his ministry secretive and private, but now it will become more and more public. And secondly, listen to his request. He he doesn't demand, like James and John, that he have the best seats in the house when Jesus takes his throne. But he simply cries out to the one whom he acknowledged to be the Savior, have mercy on me. So in himself, he saw his own miserable state. He doesn't make a demand based on his own goodness or on his closeness to Jesus, unlike his own disciples. He recognized he needed a savior. He comes with empty hands with nothing to offer him but his own misery. And then he saw and acknowledged Jesus of Nazareth as his Christ. So he makes his request for mercy. Tell me that this is not a picture of our own road to salvation. Now how did many in the crowd respond as if they were expected to respond since Bartimaeus wasn't talking to them to begin with? Being with Jesus and his disciples, they took on the characteristics, not of Jesus, they haven't learned much from him and it becomes obvious, rather they took on the characteristics of the disciples as they try to stop others from calling on him. There were many in the crowd who wanted to do crowd control and limit others from coming to Jesus. Similar to what the disciples did to the man who was casting out demons in his name and to the little children. It says, and many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. I would hope that the disciples weren't part of this group who was trying to rebuke and silence this man. But I wouldn't be surprised that they haven't learned their lesson yet. Now... Look at how Bartimaeus responds to the many. Actually, he doesn't respond to the many. He doesn't even acknowledge them. When I was reading this, I said to myself, imagine there must have been someone in that crowd who was silent during all this commotion, who said quietly to himself as if if he was speaking directly to Bartimaeus, saying, good for you. He simply ignores their stupidity and their rebuke. Like, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to him. And it says, but he cried out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. Their rebuke did not stop him from crying out all the more to Jesus. See, the many in the crowd who tried to rebuke him sounded much more like Satan And how Satan tries to silence us when we cry out to God. He fills our minds with words that suggest we are unworthy. You're not worthy to come to the throne of grace. You're not worthy to cry out to Jesus. Look at what you have done just last night. He will not listen to you now. After you just fouled up again. They were displaying the characteristics of Satan. Who makes it more difficult to approach Jesus. Yet. We are called to cry out to Jesus in our despair. And if we think he does not hear us, or we hear a voice in our head that says he will not listen, then cry out all the more. Because he does listen. How often do we see this in David and in the psalmist? How often do they cry out to God for mercy and wait for his faithful response? We see this in the psalm that we read from earlier. Psalm 130. And the funny thing is, is that Psalm 130 is a song of ascent. And they were ascending up to Jerusalem at this point. Listen to Psalm 130, the first two verses. It says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. That is what he was doing. See, Bartimaeus was a great example of strong faith in the face of opposition. An example for us, as we shouldn't care what others think or say of us when we are seeking and crying out to Jesus to heal our sick souls. There will always be those voices in our lives that sound much like Job's friends who will always criticize. You don't pray enough. You don't read your Bible enough. You ought to be scared and anxious over your salvation. On and on they go without ever applying it to themselves. Now the accusations may be true. But the accusation should never stop you from coming to Jesus. Because who is the great accuser but the devil himself? I say cry out all the more when others would consider you to be a hopeless cause. I'm sure this is how they viewed Bartimaeus. And obviously they did not know the heart of the Savior who saves sinners from the worst types of situations. And this is a caution for us as well, that in our own stupidity, I can be very stupid at times, We ought to be careful that we are not hindering others from crying out or calling out to Jesus as well. Do we see ourselves in this passage? You see, we ought to be careful that we are not like this crowd, but we should also see ourselves as this blind beggar. Do we see ourselves? In the same place as this beggar or as any other hopeless sinner in need of his mercy and grace. Because just like this beggar, we too are beggars. Folks, this is a description of the Christian. We are those sitting on the side of the road with nothing to gain and nothing to lose. We have forfeited the best seats in the house and our souls are bereft or lacking. We have nothing in our hands to offer to God. And notice also, for the moment, we too cannot see Him. We are in no different position than this blind man. As J.C. Riles says, as he asks this crucial question, What is the life of saving faith but a continual leaning on an unseen Savior's word? Our daily course of life is that of a beggar. We can only beg of Christ. We are debtors to mercy alone like the famous hymn written by Augustus Toplady. He says, a debtor to mercy alone of covenant mercy I sing nor fear with your righteousness on my person and offering to bring. The terrors of law and of God with me can have nothing to do. My Savior's obedience and blood hide all my transgressions from view. The work which his goodness began, the arm of his strength will complete. His promise is yea and amen and never was forfeited yet. Those words ought to encourage us to cry out, No matter our state or status, cry out to Jesus as a beggar and acknowledge him as your Savior, Messiah, and King. Because he listens and he will respond. So, first, we saw Bartimaeus' cry for mercy, and now, secondly, his faith in his Savior. And just like the good Savior he is, he listened and he responded. At this point, Jesus had his sights on Jerusalem, which means he had his sights on the cross. He was making his pilgrimage with other pilgrims to Jerusalem for Passover, but they were ignorant of what was going to happen to him. His work was most important and always at the forefront of his mind. Yet it says, and Jesus stopped. What a beautiful depiction of the character of our Savior. What grace, what mercy. He heard the cry of someone in desperation and it says he stopped. Many when hearing this may say to themselves, well this is a stretch. This sounds too allegorical. But listen to what the author of Hebrews says when he describes Jesus Christ, that is, Jesus Christ who is fully man and fully God. He says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. The same Jesus who is on this busy road in Jericho is the same Jesus who is now in heaven, hearing your prayers, interceding for you, restoring you, guiding you, correcting you, protecting you, and comforting you because you belong to him. So he stopped, it says, and responded to the cry of one of his sheep. And he told his followers who had tried to silence the poor man, call him, call him. He didn't rebuke them for what they had already done earlier. He just told them what they are supposed to be doing instead. Here here we see that his authority is publicly acknowledged by everyone around him. Bartimaeus acknowledged his authority verbally, and now his followers acknowledge his authority as the Messiah and their King by their obedience. They totally changed their tune. It says, And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. This is the duty of a disciple. This is your duty as Christians. We're not here to do crowd control. We're here to call them. Come to church and hear the words of Jesus. Come because Christ is present in the midst of his people proclaiming salvation for sinners. And what did Bartimaeus do? He did what every disciple does or should do when Jesus calls. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And what does Jesus say to him? This ought to sound familiar to you. What do you want me to do for you? Remember when James and John demanded from Jesus, teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. Jesus responded, what do you want me to do for you? See, repetition is important. This was repeated to show us the contrast between this blind man's request and that of James and John. Unlike James and John, Bartimaeus doesn't ask to sit on the right or left side of Jesus in glory. He doesn't even ask for riches to be saved out of his poverty. He simply asks for something that most people around him already enjoy. Listen to what he asks for and the way he asks for it. Listen to how he addresses Jesus. He already addressed him as the son of David, the Messiah the king. Now he says, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Now, the translation in the ESV is a bit off. Rabbi is another way of calling him teacher. But in the original language, it says, Rabboni, which means master, or better, my Master. See, there is a slight difference there. Though uh, the teacher usually is considered to be the master, but here he was trying to emphasize the fact that he is his master. He was emphasizing and acknowledging his authority. In other words, he was saying, My master, you who has ultimate control over my body, let me recover my sight. Notice how he says, let me me recover my sight. You are the master who has control over everything, including the place that I am in. The way he acknowledges his authority is the way we acknowledge God. It is only reserved for God. He says, let me recover my sight. this example of Bartimaeus should hit home to us as well. And we should ask the question, can we say with Bartimaeus that Jesus is our master? Many unbelievers can claim that Jesus is the master, right? But can you say that Jesus is my master? One who has a say in what we do and what we think. The one who has ultimate control over our situation. The one who has ultimate control over what happens to our bodies. No matter where you are, what your sickness is, whatever the illness that is plaguing you, can we go to Jesus and say, My Master, Recover my sight. Recover me from this cancer. Recover me from whatever is plaguing me, Lord. Because He has promised His people that one day He will. One day He will. Can we say that He is not only the Son of David, the Christ, the Messiah, our Savior, but He is also my Master. See, the disciples were losing sight of this. Like Peter, he may have confessed with his lips that Jesus is the Christ, but by his actions and his quarrels along with the other disciples, they didn't seem to believe in him as their master. But this blind man did as he acknowledges Jesus as his master and has faith in his power to heal and restore his sight. His faith, brought him salvation. This is what led Jesus to say, go your way, your faith has made you well. Or another translation would be, your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. Well, if his faith had made him well, then why did he not heal himself a long time ago? Well, because it wasn't a generic faith. It wasn't an empty faith. It was faith in an object. You see, many people talk about having faith. Some people even have faith in the unknown, whatever that means. But this blind man acknowledged Jesus. He acknowledged His authority. He acknowledged Him as the Savior. He acknowledged Him as my Master. Our faith Must be in Jesus Christ in order to be saved. Jesus is the Savior and Master who is able to save from the uttermost, and faith is the vehicle that God uses to deliver salvation. See, the foundation of our faith is in Jesus, not in anything else, not in superstition. Not in superstitious healings, not in objects like water or or any type of uh, mantra, not a saying, right? You can repeat all the words you want and still not be saved. Your faith must be grounded in Jesus and what He has done for us. Our faith has an object. It's not in the unknown, because Jesus has come to reveal God, the Savior, to us. Bartimaeus found salvation in Jesus, and immediately he recovered his sight. Now, when Jesus told him to go your way, he was giving a similar direction as he has done to others in the past, like when he healed the other blind man. He sent him to his home and said, do not even enter the village. So he said to Bartimaeus, go your way. Now the difference is that he didn't get specific. So where did Bartimaeus go? Bartimaeus did what every disciple does when he is enlightened by the word of God and receives salvation. Bartimaeus represents every true believer in Jesus Christ. It says that he followed him on the way. The reason why his name has become clear now. He has gained the privilege of becoming a disciple. That is what a disciple is. He is a follower. He cried out to Jesus as his Messiah. He believed in Jesus as his master. His sight was restored. And now he follows Jesus on the way. Those are key words. To follow and the way once we acknowledge Him as our Savior and Master, once we believe in Jesus, we follow Him on the way. See, He didn't misuse His restored sight. If it were any one of us, we would have run off to see whatever nonsense there is to see. We would have wanted to fulfill the desires of the eyes. But instead, out of gratitude and love for the One who restored Him, He followed Him. This is what we expect from everyone who is named a Christian. I believe that Bartimaeus is named here because he is much more important to the story than what we would normally acknowledge. Because this story here in chapter 10, verses 46 to 52, ends the section on discipleship, which began in chapter 8, verse 22, when Jesus healed the other blind man. From that point until now, Jesus has been giving his disciples thorough instruction in discipleship. But now it ends. His discipling culminates in Bartimaeus. He is saying, See, this is what discipleship results in. This is what it looks like. You cry out to Jesus to save you. You believe in Jesus. He restores your sight. Then you follow him on the way. Christians have been referred to as those who belong to the way. Now the question is, where was he following him to? What is the way? Well, it is on the way to the cross in Jerusalem. That is the way. The way is always to the cross of Christ for healing, for forgiveness, and for nailing ourselves to it. This is what it means to be a disciple. It is to follow Jesus on the way to the cross. And for us now, it would be to continually die to self every day and live for him. So the first question that I would have for you, who is Jesus to you? And have you seen your need of him? Now, we're not all blind and poor like Bartimaeus, but we are all born spiritually blind, totally depraved and sinful. And even as Christians, we are still spiritually sick. We all need to be restored in some way. We're not perfect yet. And like Bartimaeus, we have nothing to offer Jesus but our need. He came to Jesus with empty hands, with just an illness to heal. He didn't contribute to anything that Jesus did. Just like us. We have nothing to bring to Jesus but our sin. And in his power, Jesus is sufficient to meet our needs. And so, do you acknowledge him as the son of David? Which is another way of asking, is he your Messiah? Is he your Savior? Probably asking, Savior from what? Well, Savior from God. Because as long as you are in your sins, as long as you are in your miserable state, much like this blind man, you will face the judgment of God. So is he your savior? Because you need one. You need one. Don't be like the the disciples at this point. Preoccupied with their status in the world. The question for you should be, Is he your Savior? Is he your Savior? For there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Salvation is only through Jesus, He is the only Savior. And remember this. Remember his character as it is displayed in our text. He is gracious. He hears when we cry out to him to save us. He listens to our prayers. No matter what you are going through, cry out to Jesus. No matter the illness, no matter if your bodies are failing, no matter the guilt, no matter the sin, cry out to Jesus. There is no shame in that. He hears his people. And if he is your savior, then the question is, is is he your master? Does he have rule over your life? Does he have the ultimate say? Many people want to claim that Jesus, yes, He is my Savior, but, you know, I'll decide to obey Him when I decide to obey Him. I'll follow Him when I'm ready. Well, that may be a sign that He's really not your Savior either. If He is your Savior, then is He your Master? And are you willing to throw off your cloak Run to Him, be restored by Him, and serve Him. For these are the marks of true disciples. Amen.